This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is putting on the armor of truth and light. In the first half, Dennis L. Largi shares his address, The Armor of Light. Then in the second half, Lavelle Edwards speaks on Take Upon Yourself the Whole Armor of God. I would like to speak about a great robbery that is taking place among us. It is of more consequence than any theft in history. The thief is Satan, and his objective is to rob us of light. Lucifer does not want to steal light for himself. He wants to steal light because it is the presence of light by which he can be defeated. Since Satan abhors light and avoids its presence, and since he cannot conventionally steal light against one's will, his efforts and temptations are designed to entice his targets to voluntarily yield it up that he might more freely and effectively carry out his destructive plans. Doctrine and Covenants, section 93, verses 36, 37, and 39 teaches, The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Light and truth forsake that evil one, and that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men. End of quote. Satan steals light from us through our own disobedience. Why is light so valuable and its loss so devastating? The revelations of the Restoration contribute much to our understanding about light. The analogies I will use this morning are based upon scriptures that refer to light as spirit, as truth, or as the power of God. Having light is evidence that Jesus Christ is part of our lives. His truth, His Spirit, His power inspires, motivates, comforts, capacitates, and protects. An abundance of light in a person's life is manifested by virtues such as faith, hope, charity, patience, kindness, and humility. Outward signs of light are easy to recognize—respect, dependability, dedication to duty, modesty, obedience, and reverence for the things of God. When light is diminished in our lives, motivation towards spiritual things also diminishes to one degree or another. We are less exact in our commandment-keeping and less dedicated to activities such as home teaching, church attendance, temple attendance, scriptures, prayers, the very things that intensify light in our lives. With insufficient light, we are more susceptible to temptation. And like a plant without the nourishment of the light of the sun, without the nourishment of the light of the Son of God, we can also weaken and shrivel and eventually die spiritually. We call people who have an abundance of this light spiritual. Jesus Christ is the light and life of the world. Spiritual people are those who strive always to have His Spirit to be with them, reflect the light of Jesus Christ in their lives and in their countenances. I love senior citizens in the Church. 
Those who have been sanctified through continued righteousness over time, their countenances reflect a life well lived. Having learned to walk in the light, their lives have become a reflection of that light. This is clearly evident in the radiance of those who give significant time to temple service. I enjoy observing the wonderful ladies who work in the temple. Have you ever noticed that they seem to float across the carpet instead of walk? And what about the brilliance of those celestial hairdos? <laughs> Light is like a protective shield that can withstand the fiery darts of the adversary. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. End of quote. To put on the armor of light is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light and life of the world. This light, his light, forsakes the evil one. Two examples. As I read this familiar story, listen closely and try to discern at what particular point darkness was defeated. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, Having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all of my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared that I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. In the sacred grove, darkness left young Joseph Smith when the light first appeared. Example 2. When I was in graduate school, I asked one of my classmates to take the missionary discussions. He did not join the church at that time, and I moved back to Arizona. When I came back for another summer school session, I learned that although he had not been baptized, he had been going to church for the entire year that I had been away. One evening I got a call from him requesting that we meet in the bleachers of the Smith Fieldhouse. He was puzzled over something that had just occurred. A few years previous, 
My friend had seen a movie, which was a graphic, R-rated movie, on the subject of demonic possession. Now a friend had asked him to see the sequel to the movie, and the suggestion to see the second movie had brought back vivid memories of the content of the first movie, which he at the time had thought little about. But now a few years later, and after a year's worth of church attendance, things were somehow different. He went to bed but could not stop thinking about the movie. He became extremely nervous and began sweating profusely. Finally, at about 2 a.m., he reached over to his nightstand and picked up his copy of the Book of Mormon and started to read. He said that as he read, the nervousness went away and he calmed down and was able to fall asleep. Well, his purpose for our meeting was to ask me if I could explain what had happened to him. You can imagine that I was most eager to do so. I testified to him that the Book of Mormon was true and that the light contained within its pages chased away the darkness that he was experiencing as he reflected on the evil content within the movie. Again, light forsakes the evil one. Brothers and sisters, light can increase or decrease according to what we desire, what we think, and what we do. Nephi taught, For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsels. For they shall learn wisdom, for unto him that receiveth I will give more. And from them that shall say we have enough, from them shall be taken even that which they have. End of quote. The principle that we receive more and more from God according to our continued obedience is true of light. The Lord declared, That which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. End of quote. This same truth can also work in reverse. People lose light line upon line, sin upon sin, here a little and there a little. While each ray of lost light can be almost imperceptible to a person at the time, the aggregate or cumulative loss that has taken place over time puts one in grave danger. The spiritual immune system becomes depleted, and when the going gets tough, the ones tough cannot get going because there's little to reach down and draw from for strength and power. The story is told of an Eskimo who was losing his meat to a crafty wolf. One day the Eskimo took his razor-sharp knife and placed it blade up in the snow. He then put a big piece of meat on top of the blade so that all the wolf would see was the meat. The wolf came and began enjoying the easy meal. The meat was so delicious that he didn't notice that as he was licking and biting, he was cutting his own tongue on the knife. The wolf was literally drinking his own blood, which continued until he became so weak that he froze to death. As in the story of the Eskimo, Satan tempts us with alluring distractions and circumstances which may appear on the surface to be harmless. But as we partake, the light slowly dissipates until we become weak and in serious spiritual trouble. 
President Kimball taught that transgression wears elegant gowns. It begins tiny and grows to monumental proportions. It grows drop by drop, inch by inch. When we lose light, Satan has effectively neutralized us. He has taken us out of the battle, or we have allowed ourselves to be taken out of the battle. The armies of the Lord cannot be defeated, but they can defeat themselves. For example, in the Old Testament, there's a story about a man named Achan, whose disobedience brought defeat to Israel's army. In the victorious battle against Jericho, he had taken an object from the enemy that God identified as accursed. The next battle against the city of Ai was supposed to be easy, yet Israel met with a humiliating defeat. In response to Joshua's plea to know why they had been defeated, the Lord revealed the disobedience of this Israelite soldier in taking from the spoils of Jericho a forbidden or accursed object. This disobedience robbed the Israelites of the power needed to stand against its enemies. This story has universal application. For just as Israel lost power and protection, we also lose power and protection when we entertain forbidden thoughts, harbor evil desires, or engage in activities that are prohibited by God. Maintaining light is like staying spiritually in shape so that when the test comes, we can meet it. A person who slowly drifts over time into poor physical shape does not fully appreciate that fact until a test arises that requires great physical exertion. The test or trial clearly exposes the lack of capacity. A colleague of mine observed that it is the storm that reveals the importance of having your house built on rock and not on sand. It is common in our homes to have both 220 and 110 power. Dryers and ovens typically operate on 220 power, while all other devices require 110 power. A dryer or oven would not work effectively on 110 power. Sometimes electrical problems cause what is known as a brownout. Electrical power is still present, but not sufficient to handle the load requirement. By way of analogy, Compare 220 power to the power required to stand up to the challenges and temptations of latter-day life. And compare 110 power to the power which enables us to live, move, attend school, and function, but which is insufficient when we are faced with the kinds of temptations that surround us. When we fail to maintain light in our lives, we fail to maintain necessary power levels we slip into a spiritual brownout, so to speak, placing ourselves in a dangerous, weakened position with less strength to resist temptation. Concerning Satan's tactics, Nephi wrote, And others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security that they will say, All is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. End of quote. The all is well in Zion way of discipleship is like this spiritual brownout. It says, I can be laid back in the church. I can skip my personal prayers, indulge in borderline entertainment, skip some meetings, and sidestep full-hearted service. 
In essence, I can run at 110 power and all is well. Brothers and sisters, I testify that this is simply not true. As Nephi said, thus the devil cheateth their souls. We have been blindsided by our own inattention to duty and devotion to God. Over time, we've lost a significant measure of what we also desperately need, the light, the spirit, the power of God. We have been carefully weakened so that when a 220 test comes, we fail because we only possess 110 power. As a campus bishop, I saw this consequence result over and over in regard to serious sin. Invariably, those in trouble had suffered losses before the bigger loss had occurred. And it was those preparatory losses that set up the bigger fall. There is no little loss of light that is insignificant. No little loss of light without the potential of becoming a major breach to the brightness of our armor. As Latter-day Saints, we are blessed with the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no excuse, as the scriptures state, to walk in darkness at noonday. Doctrine and Covenants 82.3 reads, He who sins against the greater light shall receive the greater condemnation. End of quote. One temptation that seems to be a challenge for all of us is the temptation to play both sides of the fence. We select some things in the church that we like and some things of the world that we like, and we try to settle in and get comfortable with the mix. Some want to partake of the fruit of the tree of life and also party in the great and spacious building. The Apostle James said, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Jesus taught, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. End of quote. Just as a farmer who looks back cannot plow a straight furrow, neither can a disciple walk on the straight and narrow path for an extended period with split loyalties. Lot's wife was punished for her disobedience in looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah. Although her feet were pointed away from the city, perhaps her real problem was that her heart remained within it. Our feet as well as our heart need to be on the gospel path. I'd like to issue a challenge to everyone here today. Sometime today, take a piece of paper and divide it into two halves. On the right side, list things that could intensify light in your life. Temple attendance, attendance at all Sunday meetings, scriptures, prayers, repentance, service, and so forth. On the left side, list things that you think, desire, do, say, view, or even places that you might go that could diminish light from your life. Then ask yourself, in all honesty, how can I improve on those things that intensify light, and what can I do or simply let go of which takes light away? As in the story of Achan, what accursed things do I do, say, think, or hold on to that drain my power? This list can be compared to a dimmer switch which controls the intensity of light within our homes. Turn the dial to the right and the light increases. Turn the dial to the left and the light dims. The decision as to which way we turn the dial is up to us. Remember, 
that this is not a balance sheet where the seven good things on the right side cancel out the five bad things on the left side and leaves me with two positives. If that was possible, I might reason I can continue with the five things that take light away because I can easily counterbalance them and still come out on top, somehow feeling safe because of a balancing of the two is spiritually dangerous. The bad things we choose weaken the system so that sometimes we are unable to fully compensate by choosing good. In fact, the consequence of choosing bad over time is that the good doesn't seem so good anymore. As more and more bad things are chosen, they become more and more desirable and seem less and less wrong. Another consequence of choices that rob us of light is that we don't discern the good as clearly, and that leaves the possibility of delving deeper and deeper into the bad. When you're in the darkness, your eyes adjust, and it soon doesn't look dark anymore. So too can we adjust to dark deeds and actually acquire a taste for the bad. We cannot willingly keep taking the poison without consequence. God will not be mocked, for as we sow, so shall we reap. As we sow light, we receive light. As we sow disobedience, we reap darkness. Jesus taught, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? As you try this challenge, you might find that you don't really have many things on the left side that cause a loss of light, but that you could add more things on the right side that would bring more of God's light into your life. Sometimes the critical issue is not commission of light-robbing activities, but serious omissions of light-bringing deeds. In connection with this challenge, consider striving to make your living areas places where God's light can shine unobstructed. I currently serve in a branch presidency at the Missionary Training Center. The Missionary Training Center is a place where the Lord's light shines brightly. It is hard to go there and not feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. There are no questionable pictures on the walls. No music with suggestive lyrics, and no entertainment that compromises standards. The missionaries are trying hard to avoid the coarse, the unclean, and the vulgar. Christ and service to Christ is at the center. In this environment, learning soars, and missionaries are often heard to say, I have never felt the Spirit so often or so intensely. Although we are not full-time missionaries with that central focus, we can join together with our roommates or spouses and agree to cultivate an environment of light in our dormitories or apartments. As are the missionaries, we also can be Christ-centered, and we also can eliminate those things of the world that dim God's light. By doing so, we can enjoy the blessings associated with increased light. Living in an environment of light will have many advantages for you at this time in your life. You are searching for important answers to critical questions. It is always easier to find what we are looking for when the light is on. Doctrinally, it's as simple as this. The closer we are to the light, the more we can see. The further we step away from the light, the less we can see. And we need to be able to see clearly. 
In a devotional assembly, President Bateman told students, you stand at a critical juncture in life. You've just crossed the threshold into adulthood. Your dreams and choices will determine not only your future, but the destiny of untold generations to come. In connection with this, he asked the question, are you living worthy to experience the light that the Lord wishes to bestow upon you? End of quote. I'd like to close with an observation by Elder Glenn Pace of the First Quorum of the Seventy. Many of us take the blessings of the gospel for granted. It is as if we are passengers on the train of the Church, which has been moving forward gradually and methodically. Sometimes we've looked out the window and thought, that looks kind of fun out there. This train is so restrictive. So we've jumped off and gone and played in the woods for a while. Sooner or later we find it isn't as much fun as Lucifer makes it appear, or we get critically injured. So we work our way back to the tracks and see the train ahead. With a determined sprint, we catch up to it, breathlessly, wipe the perspiration from our forehead, and thank the Lord for repentance. While on the train, we can see the world and some of our own members outside laughing and having a great time. They taunt us and coax us to get off. Some throw logs and rocks on the tracks to try to derail it. Other members run alongside the tracks, and while they may never go play in the woods, they just can't seem to get on the train. Others try to run ahead and too often take the wrong turn. I would propose that the luxury of getting on and off the train as we please is fading. The speed of the train is increasing, the woods are getting much too dangerous, and the fog and darkness are moving in. With all of the prophecies we have seen fulfilled, what great event are we awaiting prior to saying, count on me? What more do we need to see or experience before we get on the train and stay on the train until we reach our destination? It is time for a spiritual revival. It is time to dig down deep within ourselves and rekindle our own light. End of quote. May each of us dig down deep and do what is necessary to intensify light in our life. May we also guard against its theft. Jesus said, But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to have been broken up, but would have been ready. End quote. We are the good men and women of the house. Lucifer is the thief, diligently, patiently, and carefully seeking to break up our house or to destroy our souls. May we watch and be ready. I testify that I know that the things I've taught today are true. I pray that we might maintain the brightness of our armor, the armor of light by consistently coming unto the light, even Jesus Christ, who is the light. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Putting on the Armor of Truth and Light. We've just heard from Dennis L. Largi. After the break, we'll return with Lavelle Edwards 
for take upon yourself the whole armor of God. This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is putting on the armor of truth and light. Next is Lavelle Edwards, retired BYU head football coach at the time of this address, titled, Take Upon Yourself the Whole Armor of God. In Doctrine and Covenants, section 27, verses 15 through 18, it reads, Lift up your hearts and rejoice, and gird up your loins, and take upon you my whole armor, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. Having done all, that you may be able to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about you with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of peace, which I have sent mine angels to commit unto you taking upon the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darks of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of my spirit, which I will pour out upon you, and my word which I reveal unto you. We've all seen pictures of Moroni dressed in his armor, including the breastplate and the helmet. It's a little like a football player dressed in a full uniform with all the required pads, shoes, and helmet. They are both dressed for protection from their adversaries. The football player has to withstand the blocks, tackles, and other hits he will take while practicing or playing a game. The Lord has offered us protective armor to use in our battles, and that is what I'd like to discuss today. As the scripture states, we should have our loins girt about with truth. As members of the Church, we seek truth in all areas, be it spiritual, educational, scientific, or in the social and moral settings of society. If we don't seek truth, we will not find it or recognize it. Probably the most profound search for truth was Joseph Smith's search for the true Church. Just think where we would be today if he had not had that hunger for truth. In order to recognize truth, to be truthful, to be honest with others, we first have to be honest and truthful with ourselves. Self-deception is deadly. Deceiving ourselves leaves us open to Satan's ways. Like blaming others for our poor choices, justifying a little white lie, and cheating on a test. However, being honest with ourselves allows us to learn who we are and what we are all about. It helps our minds and hearts to be open to further truth and inspiration. Spencer W. Kimball in the September 1978 Ensign said, If men are really humble, they will realize they discover, but not create truth." Close quote. We all know of the two plans of salvation presented by the God to his sons, Lucifer and Jehovah. A great battle commenced between their followers, and even though Lucifer was cast out, 
The war between the forces of good and evil have continued to this day. The temptation of the forces of evil are greater today than ever before. But truth can make us free of Satan's deceptions. The scripture continues, having on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness means being upright, moral, virtuous. It is something we have to work on every day. We have to keep progressing or we will regress. We have to continue studying, praying, and trying to live the Lord's teachings and commandments to gain and maintain a life of righteousness. I believe righteousness also includes service to others. A righteous person is aware of others' needs and acts on that awareness through service. A friend shared with me this anonymous but profound creed that says it well. I quote, Remember to be gentle with yourself and others. We are all children of chance, and none can say why some fields blossom while others lay brown beneath the August sun. Care for those around you. Look past your differences. Their dreams are no less than yours. Their choices in life no more easily made. And give. Give in any way you can of whatever you possess. To give is to love. To withhold is to wither. Care less for your harvest than for how it is shared. And your life will have meaning and your heart will have peace. Close quote. This is a beautifully stated philosophy and one that I believe that we should incorporate into our lives as we continue our quest for righteousness. The next phase of the scripture is, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation brings peace as it frees us to pursue our goals. In this era of violence in every medium, peace is a treasured feeling and one we want to keep with us as much as possible. To me, uh, preparation is the key to success in any endeavor. I've often heard the phrase, he or she has a great will to win. What it should say is that he or she has a great will to prepare. The greatest athletes are not always the fastest, strongest, or the most gifted athletically. The greatest players are those who have the ability to recognize their potential and prepare themselves to meet that potential. The next item of protection is taking the shield of faith. In the Book of Mormon, warriors use shields to protect them from the swords, spears, arrows, and other weapons of their foes. In football, the quarterback has an offensive line that forms a pocket in front of him to shield him from the opponents. Faith is our shield, our pocket of protection. It is our shield from the many weapons that Satan bombards us with every day, such as despair, indecisiveness, procrastination, depression, and anger. Faith lifts us up, gives us hope, makes seemingly insurmountable challenges possible. Life can be discouraging. It isn't always fair. 
But with faith and an eternal perspective, we can make it through the hard times. We tend to think that we're the only ones with problems, when in reality, everyone has problems. Even President Hinckley, when he said, My life has been rich because it has been filled with problems to solve and associations to savor. Close quote. Sean Covey is the son of Stephen R. Covey of Seven Habits fame and grew up in our ward. He had those, along with his other family members, those seven habits stamped across their forehead from the day they were born. And they knew how to succeed. They were a marvelous family. Sean was a great high school football player and led his team to the state championship and was very highly recruited. It came down to us in Stanford, and Sean elected to come to BYU because he wanted to lead us to another national championship. His freshman year, he did well with the junior varsity squad and then left on a mission. When he came home, he was excited and eager to resume his football career. He worked hard, prepared himself physically and mentally, and halfway through his sophomore year, he became our starting quarterback. After winning all but one of the last few games of that season, we played, and everything looked like everything was right on track for him. The next year, he was named the starting quarterback, but sustained a concussion against Wyoming in the first game. He came back the next game, and we beat a nationally ranked Texas team. But then he had shoulder and knee problems throughout the year. Team suffered a little bit, and he had to have surgery after the season, which prevented him from going through spring practice. At the time, we had a young freshman quarterback by the name of Ty Detmer, who had an outstanding spring. It became evident that he may be the better of the two. But because Sean was the starter the previous year, we wanted to give him a good chance to fight for the starting position when they returned in the fall. After fall camp, it was evident that Ty was the better quarterback of the two. Before any announcement was made, I brought Sean into the office and explained our decision to him. He didn't speak for a while, but finally said, Coach, I don't think this is fair. I've worked hard, prepared well, and done everything I was supposed to do to return as a starting quarterback. This is going to be a much better team than the others that I played on. I had to agree with Sean. After another moment, he continued. But Coach, he said, this isn't fair. But I want you to know that I will be at every practice. I will be at every meeting. And I will prepare myself every week as if I were the starting quarterback. I will be ready whenever you need me. He did just that. Unfortunately for Sean, Ty went on to have the greatest year of any sophomore quarterback in the NCAA history. Sean rarely got into a game again. Life in this instant was not fair to Sean. But he chose to do his very best and to contribute to the success of the team in any way he could. He was, and is, a young man of faith, of righteousness, and of prayer, and with an eternal perspective on life.
This is what helps him to make the right choices and to use each difficulty he encounters as a stepping stone to progress. The scripture continues, and take the helmet of salvation. Can you imagine how it would be to play a game of football without a helmet? It is the same in trying to live in this world of turmoil without the plan of salvation. Our understanding of this plan gives meaning to our lives, a knowledge of why we are here, and a hope for where we can be in the next life. The promise of exaltation and eternal families gives us a constant goal to strive for, thus protecting us from and helping us avoid much of the evil that's out there in the world. Think of the amazing sacrifice the Lord made for us, that we might have salvation from Adam's transgression and from our own sins. Think of the intense suffering he bore at the Garden of Gethsemane and on the cross in order to fulfill his mission on this earth. Think of the overwhelming love he must have had for us to have completed his earthly part of his ministry in such a way. It is the greatest gift that will ever be given, and we must use it daily to repent, to make wise choices, to always have that eternal perspective and to work toward exaltation. The last part of the protective equipment the scripture mentioned is the sword of my spirit, the most powerful part of our protective armament. The most powerful weapon we have against evil is the spirit of the Lord. He has promised us that we will have his spirit with us if we are trying to do as he has asked. With the Spirit, we know better how to use the rest of our armor to full advantage. As we do that, we can then feel the Spirit even stronger and exercise its power on a daily basis. Elder Lawrence C. Dunn in May 1979 Ensign expounded on this. We keep the commandments and teachings of the gospel in order to condition us spiritually. It is not a matter of how many laws we keep and how many we do not keep. We keep the commandments because they are the laws that govern the spirit. The spirit in turn will sanctify us, condition us spiritually, and eventually prepare us to live in the kingdom where God is. Close quote. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the armor includes praying always. In the wars described in the Book of Mormon, it took a long time for the soldiers in the field to communicate with their leaders back at headquarters when they were in trouble, needed supplies or guidance, or even to tell them of triumphs and victories. We, on the other hand, can have constant and instant communication with our leader the Lord through prayer. Prayer is a stabilizing weapon we have against Satan. The more constant our prayers, the less opportunity there is for him to find a crack in our armor. Prayer is a special one-on-one, soul-to-soul -soul communication with our Heavenly Father, a time when we ask for help in our battles, small and large. 
It is also a time to thank him for his help as we safely come through each struggle, as he helps us keep our armor intact, as he blesses us while we are trying to keep progressing. One thing I had to learn the hard way was that prayer shouldn't be a last resort. Too often we depend on our own skills or the help of others, when prayer should be a part of every solution. Perhaps when we need him, he won't recognize our voice, as in this poem called Answered Prayer that someone sent me. Jake the rancher went one day to fix a distant fence. The wind was cold and gusty and the clouds rolled gray and dense. As he pounded the last staples in and gathered his tools to go, the temperature had fallen and the snow was beginning to blow. When he finally reached his pickup, he felt a heaviness of heart. From the sound that the ignition made, he knew it wouldn't start. So Jake did what most of us would do if we'd have been there. He humbly bowed his balding head and sent aloft a prayer. As he turned the key for the last time, he softly cursed his luck. They found him three days later, froze in the cab of that old truck. Jake had been around in his younger days and done his share of Roman. But when he saw heaven, he was shocked. Why, it looked just like Wyoming. Oh, there were some differences, of course, but just some minor things. One place had simply disappeared, the town they call Rock Springs. The BLM had been shut down, and there weren't no grazing fees. And the wind in Rollins and Cheyenne was now a gentle breeze. All the park and forest service folks, they didn't fare so well. They had all been sent to fight some fire in a wilderness in hell. Though heaven was a real nice place, Jake had a wondering mind. So he saddled up and lit a shuck, not knowing what he had find. Then one day in Cody on a cold October afternoon, he seen St. Peter coming his way and knew he'd be there soon. Of all the saints that Jake knew in heaven, his favorite was St. Peter. This line ain't really necessary, but it makes good rhyme and meter. So they sat and talked a minute or two, or maybe it was three. Nobody there was keeping score. In heaven, time is free. I've always heard, Jake said to Peter, that God will answer prayer. But the one time that I asked for help, well, he just plain wasn't there. Does God answer prayers of some and ignore the prayers of others? That don't seem exactly square. I know all men are brothers. Oft does he really reply randomly without good rhyme or reason? Maybe it's the time of day, the weather, or the season. I ain't trying to act smart, it's just the way I feel. And I was wondering, St. Peter, what the heck's the deal? Peter listened patiently when old Jake was done. There was a smile of recognition, and he said, Oh, you're the one. That day your truck, it wouldn't start, and you sent your prayer a-flying. You gave us all a real bad time with the hundreds of us trying. Ten thousand angels rushed to check the status of your file. But you know, Jake, 
we hadn't heard from you in more than just a while. And though all prayers of believers are answered and God ain't got no quota, he just didn't recognize your voice and started some guy's truck in North Dakota. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's not always easy to recognize the Lord's blessings or his answers, but our faith in the Spirit can help us so. Each of us has our own individual journey to make in life, and it isn't always a smooth ride. But prayer can make it bearable and give us the strength to keep moving. In a speech at BYU in 1973, President Hinckley used a wonderful quote from Jenkin Lloyd-Jones, which says, Anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. The fact is, most putts don't drop, most beef is tough, and most children grow up to be just ordinary people. Most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. Life is like an old-time rail journey. Delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts interspersed only occasionally by beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. Close quote. I would like to add one more item of protection to help us foil the adversary that of surrounding ourselves with good people. Remember those special young men, the sons of Helaman, who had been taught by their mothers to have total faith in the Lord and come to the aid of their people in war. We never know when we are going to have a kink in our armor and need stripling warriors there who will help us, who will lift us, who will help us repair that crack. One of the most famous runs that Steve Young ever made with the 49ers was in the game where he lost his helmet. Did he stop to pick it up? No, he kept running. Down the field, full bore, leaving himself open to serious injury. Steve had a couple of kinks in his football armor. One, he didn't appreciate the wisdom of the slide often playing like a blocker, taking on linebackers and trying to flatten them. And sometimes, actually, a lot of times, his shield, his pocket, was shattered and he was flattened by a 300-pound lineman. Fortunately, Steve had good people around him to help back him up, to help him replace his kinks, to help him evaluate and to repair his body, and to help him make wise decisions like retiring. <laughs> we all need our stripling warriors, family, friends, leaders, who have high values, who are loyal and fearless in their righteous desires, who know truth and have immense faith. Hopefully we can all be stripling warriors for others as they discover the cracks in their armor. When we take upon ourselves the whole armor of God, it is much like the football player going into a game with all of his protective gear on. It gives himself confidence and a freedom to play. 
Take off his helmet or his pads, and he will become tentative in his playing and will render himself ineffective. The struggle to find ourselves is very real, and that is why God has given us this armor, that we might recognize truth and understand ourselves, that we might have faith because of the gift of salvation, that we might attain righteousness to help us overcome the evils of life. If we don't use this armor we've been given, we will, like the football player, become tentative in our choices and decisions and leave ourselves open to the adversary. As a high school and college coach for close to 50 years, I have seen this tendency, evidence as we place limitations on ourselves more so than on those that are imposed by others. It may be because a lack of fear, or because of fear, a lack of self-confidence, or a lack of eternal vision. We were placed on this earth to be successful in all our chosen endeavors. I have a plaque in my office that says, Success is a journey and not a destination. We don't become successful and then just stay there. We either move forward or backward. True success is measured by what we choose to do with our lives, not by how many yards we gain running the ball or how rich we are or if we have a powerful position. Such measuring sticks are not eternal and can put kinks in our armor. They have the potential of having a negative effect on the way we perceive ourselves and our worth. President Hinckley said, the course of our lives is not determined by great, awesome decisions. Our direction is set by the little day-to-day -day choices that chart the track on which we run. Close quote. The armor of God we've been given is far more powerful than any earthly armor. I think of the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was not only huge in stature, but he was equipped with every conceivable armor then known. David, however, was warmed only with the armor of God and a slingshot. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 44 through 46, after being ridiculed by his opponent, then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Close quote. We face intimidations in many ways during our life. It may be the bully in the neighborhood as we are a child or a powerful corporation as we strive to make a way up the business world. It may be through peer pressure. To be popular is to go along with the crowd, to really show your love. You have to give your all. To be competitive, you have to take steroids. It may be our neighbor's money and power our lack of them. The armor of God can help us bring down any intimidator, no matter what weapons he is using. The armor of God gives us eternal perspective, the strength of faith, truth, prayer, and the promise of salvation. We never need be afraid to stand up for ourselves and our God if we are protected with this armor. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take upon you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. Close quote. It is my prayer that we will all put on the whole armor of God, that we will work at maintaining that armor through good choices, faith, prayer, study, service, and relying on the Spirit. I pray that each of us will continually to be truthful, to know ourselves, our potential in the Lord's sight, and that through that sight find joy, peace, and success in our lives. It has been my great pleasure to be at this great university and to have a lot of many things happen to us that we never really intend on. But the blessings that I have in my life have always been and always will be the testimony that I have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my wife, Patty, and my children and these are my most important possessions, and I bear it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Putting on the Armor of Truth and Light, with thoughts from Dennis L. Largi and Lavelle Edwards. Find the links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.